Hello and welcome to The Roadmap, the podcast from the commercial technology team here at Bristow's. My name is Vic Karana. I'm a partner here at Bristow's and I'll be your host for this episode of The Roadmap, which is all about software as a service or SaaS and specifically how to approach buying in SaaS solutions from a customer's perspective. So joining me today to discuss this topic is Rob Powell, an associate in our tech team here at Bristow's and sometimes host of this uh, very podcast. How are you doing, Rob? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. Thanks, Vic. Uh, it's good to be in the, the guest hot seat today. Uh, you've done a great job on the intro, I've got to thank say. You. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Just trying to live up to your standards uh, as host. So, 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 Rob, in a previous episode off the roadmap, our colleagues Toby, Alice and Annika talked about negotiating cloud computing deals. And as they mentioned, software uh, is just one of the types of services delivered through the cloud these days, along with infrastructure and platform services. So, so Rob, um, given that we're diving into the software aspect of cloud today, could you give us a quick recap on what we mean by software as a service or SaaS? Yeah, of course. Um, and SaaS, you know, is a really broad church. So it's, it's a term that's bandied about a lot, um, sometimes inaccurately, but it essentially describes a software solution that is cloud hosted, uh, remotely accessed and delivered on a one to many model, um, you know, often alongside support or implementation services. Um, and it can really encompass all, all manner of products and solutions. So, you know, it might be the most fundamental piece of software, which which underpins your business and its actual kind of revenue generation. So it might be a CRM or a, an actual kind of customer-facing sales booking platform. Uh, it, it might be software that serves, you know, a more internal purpose. So, um, but perhaps involves the, the storage or processing of valuable data. So, you know, things like a, an HR platform, for example, um, and importantly, there's where the distinction between platform as a service and software as a service is, is blurring a bit. So actual, uh, so what, what we might actually call SaaS is, is actually involving, you know, data upload. And it's meaning that data security and processing considerations become very relevant. Um, or, you know, SaaS might be the most kind of niche, nice to have software you can imagine. So, you know, a, a solution you know, for example, which enables your staff to to process their coffee orders. That's that's more than a nice to have. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's in the fundamental for business category. Um, but the point is, it, it's really important not to club all of these together, right? Just because they effectively operate on the same technology doesn't mean that that they bring the same risks to your business. Right. So, so software as a service is really the sort of delivery model that we're talking about here. Um, from a technology perspective, and obviously they encompass a load of types of uses, as you just sort of outlined. So, so we know, Rob, that our clients are constantly buying in software as a service tools and products across all those kinds of uses, the whole range, uh, and that their legal and procurement teams are kind of inundated with, re with reviewing SaaS contracts. And, and they sometimes tell us that it can be hard to know when they can negotiate, even if they can negotiate at all. Uh, and then even when they can, so where do they focus their time uh, and efforts on, especially if they're kind of short of time. So uh, when you approach SaaS contracts from a perspective of a customer buying it in and reviewing contracts, what, what do you see as the kind of risks that you're looking out for? Yeah, so 
I mean, as, as you say, most, literally most businesses, if not all of them, are going to be procuring at least one piece of SaaS, if not many, many more. And it, it seems really obvious to say, but when approaching SaaS as a customer, there's inevitably going to be very, very different risks at play to your business, depending on the, the nature of the solution that, that's being procured. So when conducting that risk assessment, you know, first off, when you kind of initially receive the agreement, or, or initially kick off the deal, it's really important to tie the risk assessment to the either the potential losses you could suffer if this SaaS solution kind of fails, or the value of the data actually being processed by the supplier. And importantly, in neither case, tie the risk assessment to the fees that you're paying. And this is really key to remember when you're looking at the kind of deal risk as a whole, but also when you are thinking about specifics like you know, the liability caps, because often in a SaaS contract, you know, these are going to be very low as standard. But the point is that there may be movement possible there, as as we'll, we'll come to talk talk about later. Um, but just by way of example on this, I acted for a client recently who was moving their HR platform to the cloud. Um, and the supplier was was really unwilling to engage in negotiations or accept changes on the basis that the fees for the service were actually really low. Um, and the supplier was also looking to tie their liability cap under the agreement to the fees received. Um, and in that case, you know, were the supplier to suffer a data breach, for example, and leak that client's employee's data, you can see clearly how a liability cap set at the kind of relatively modest fees of, you know, maybe three three thousand pounds a year or something would be really insufficient and would basically offer the client very little protection. So, you know, my, my two key touch points, just to summarize for assessing risk, are always the value of the data and materials that will be processed via that SaaS solution and, you know, the business impact if, if, it, if it fails. That's really interesting. And you've outlined some of uh, the particular risks that exist when you look at SaaS contracts, but you've identified those. But what can you really do about them? You can't really negotiate SaaS contracts, can you, Rob, or, or, or can you? Absolutely. So, so yeah, this is the, the really the myth uh, that I wanted to bust today that, that SaaS is, is you know, non-negotiable. So SaaS agreements are, the, are this world of, of sort of two-column you know, PDF terms that you, you, you can't amend. Um, you know, they'll typically be provided with, with some words of warning from, from the sales rep who delivers them to your client, you know, that these are non-negotiables. And customers often take the position that they have to simply decide whether they accept them. Um, accept the risks posed by them without a opportunity for negotiation uh, or, or, or they just, you know, reject that supplier and go with someone else. Um, and suppliers will, will essentially say, look, SaaS is a one-to-many model. Uh, we can't accept any amendments on a customer-by-customer -customer basis. And this is, of course, true to some extent. But, uh, and, and this is the crucial distinction, that will often only really apply to the operational model of the product so that you know from a, the harmonization the harmonization rather of of the legal positions in a supplier's contract is of course you know desirable for the supplier but it's it's not by any means mandatory and it's it's really up for grabs so certain parts of the agreement may be open to negotiation um and it may be possible to achieve movement that can significantly reduce your risk and this will especially be the case you know, if you're if you're spending a significant amount with the supplier, or if 
you know you're a high profile kind of banner customer for them so whether you're a big brand or perhaps you're the first customer in a new market or sector for that supplier so consider whether you can leverage this to your advantage um and when you're looking at the top major players uh for SaaS solutions you know negotiation even in these circumstances may be quite difficult but you know as as toby discussed on a previous episode on cloud just beware of of small or medium-sized suppliers using SaaS or um in Toby's words, cloud wash uh, as an excuse to to avoid negotiation. So, my, you know, my takeaway really from from this episode is that achieving movement in the contract is by no means impossible, or, or at least you shouldn't always assume it's impossible. But you know, on the other hand, that there is a limit to that, right? So it's, it's a balance. You'll also have to be realistic and to take a bit of a pragmatic approach. Um, and to some extent, you know, you've got to accept the SaaS business model, that's that's the product you're getting. And it's pointless to spend time and resource trying to negotiate the non-negotiable. But at that point, the focus then shifts to, okay, how can we practically and operationally understand and then mitigate this risk? Um, and much of this can be achieved up front, really, by ensuring the SaaS solution meets the need and... Um, and will deliver and perform as described. So, you know, with this in mind, it's crucial to get clarity on, for example, the service description and the functionality, as well as, you know, availabilities and other other service levels. And these elements are likely to be non-negotiable in a, in a true one-to-many model. So a customer should basically ensure that it's absolutely clear what is procuring and that the description and stated performance levels really meet the need of of that the business has and it's then at that point about working closely with the the technical and business teams to work out how other inherent risks um in the SaaS agreement may be mitigated or or covered off so thanks a lot and so i think you you've outlined really nicely kind of what SaaS is and how customers might think about risk and and also what suppliers might be thinking about and, and meaning when they say something's non-negotiable about how that applies to the kind of operating model of the the delivery of the service but but how other areas might be more up, up for grabs or open for discussion so so with all that in mind what sort of specific areas should kind of customer advisors be looking at in that SaaS contract and what would you recommend focusing your, your sort of time and effort on? Yeah, so th- my, my kind of initial point would, would just to be realistic about what you can achieve and more importantly, what actually really matters to the business. So, you know, what in the contract matters in practice for the actual kind of smooth, effective and cost-efficient running of, of your operation um you know for, for example it will usually be essential to ensure that the customer has the ability to to swiftly terminate the engagement and, and move to a new supplier in the event of poor performance you know that that's a kind of a basic one and that's that's one of the the, the theoretical benef- benefits of a SaaS model is that you know you can drop a drop a supplier at the drop at the drop of a hat um you know consider whether in that vein any any termination assistance may be required to deal with that and you know maybe have a look at whether the supplier even offers this um because it's it's not always the case certainly in a SaaS context and and with with 
the focus on um, the actual operation of the software, you know, that that being central, it's really important to look at the the SLAs. Um, so what are the availability commitments on offer and what are the carve-outs, importantly? So have the, the, the business team, the technical team been through this? Are they comfortable with it? Are there are there practical, realistic, realistic service credits on offer, or are there you know so many hoops to jump through to get them that they're in effect in effect worthless? Um, and you know does does the business actually even really care about credits? I've I've often dealt with clients where service credits don't really offer them much of a remedy, and so they don't want to spend time and effort negotiating them. And and also from a legal perspective, it's it's crucial to ensure that the SLAs don't evade legal review. You know, sometimes maybe they're, they're viewed as a, a bit of a, you know, an inverted commas commercial document, but um, it's really crucial that, they, that, that they're that they reviewed by a lawyer, as, a lawyer as well. You know, being wary in particular for things like uh, commitments from a supplier to, to only use reasonable endeavours to meet these commitments or to meet these uh, availability commitments, for example, or you know perhaps fairly kind of paltry service credits being the the sole and exclusive remedy for breaching the service levels, or you know maybe there's so many carve outs um, to the availability and uh, allowability of downtime that the service level is just never really going to be breached in in practice. So it's important not to just look at the numbers, you know, the ninety nine point nine percent, and actually dig into the detail of of how it's calculated because. That ultimately is 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 what might give you the, the comfort that you'll get an effective remedy if you don't get the service that you're that you've paid for. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, I think the service levels take on an added importance in cloud and software services contracts, partly because it's they're, they're kind of a stand-in for the kind of usual front-end performance commitments and warranties that we lawyers and advisors typically expect to get in contracts and get comfortable that they're, they're things we can sort of sign up to. Um, and on those kinds of, you, you, you often have sort of quite wide disclaimers, the services provided as is, um, disclaiming all other implied terms or liabilities, except you've got these SLAs. Um, and actually, to be fair, on that performance warranty sort of side, that is an area I think as well as you can you can try and get some movement and get something in there which is makes things a bit more comfortable. So, for example, the the SaaS vendor should be able to give some basic commitments about them complying with law, or that the service will materially meet you know the uh, documentation and specifications that it has, uh, and and on those points. If it's obviously producing that documentation and specification, while I don't think a lot of lawyers and advisors would feel like they should spend a lot of time, depending on the nature of the deal, to review exactly what those are, it's going to be important to make sure that uh, to understand whether those could be replaced on a whim from time to time, or is it something that you know we get comfortable that we've seen that what those look like and having a warranty that they'll basically be what we'll get are, are sort of sufficient to at least get that kind of comfort. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and in terms of other other areas, you know, to your question about other areas to focus on as a customer, um, you know, certainly from my experience, one of one of the key areas to look out for, which is is likely to be of central concern to the business, is is clarity around charges. So that's both in terms of what is in scope uh, versus what you know are add-ons, um, which you know is, is going to 
mean that the the fees that you're paying over the the term really rack up. Um, but also looking at the supplier's ability to unilaterally increase the price over the term. So you know you'll often see a kind of annual increase um, that may be tied to to RPI or some other metric, but it may just um, just give them complete freedom to to increase on an annual basis. Um, and the argument to that is that you know if the supplier wants to kind of book or or recognise the full revenue of perhaps it's you know a three year deal, then on the flip side the customer also needs to have certainty over cost at its end. Um, so that's not kind of just ramped up year on year. Um, another another key tip on on the customer side is is to try and step back and consider the usage of of the the SaaS. So actually, you know, what entities in your group are going to need to use or access this solution? Um, will your advisors, contractors, other third parties, or individuals need need to access? And if so, you'll need to ensure that the contract expressly permits this so you know is is the SaaS licensed on a per entity basis or is it simply named users you know regardless of who their employing entity is and you know th- this might appear a, a bit of a kind of niche legal issue um and, and the kind of detailed nuance in the wording but it's not uncommon for certain you know large SaaS providers certainly to invoke their audit rights and assess usage as a as a means of, of revenue generation. So it's really worth getting it right and and being transparent from the beginning. Um, and with that in mind, you may even want to, as a customer, try and include a mechanism for dealing with, you know, over usage or usage beyond um beyond a, a number of users in the contract. So that might be, you know, you pay a defined percentage of the service fee, which then operates as that's you know the supplier's sole remedy for that overusage, um, and you can protect yourself protect yourself that way. Yeah, the software audit side is a really really big trend at the moment. I think a lot of we're aware of a lot of software audits happening on customer use, and actually it's quite easy to accidentally be overstepping the things you could use the the SaaS for, um, and actually having the kind of hardwired. Um, consequences in the contract to deal with it kind of help because it just avoids having a blank check conversation about what what you owe for having you use overuses thing if you've got some clauses in the contract say look if we do overuse and we're going to pay you some more license fees fine but they'll be based on these levels and not just an an, an open checkbook absolutely um and and my final point because where i could could go on all day on this is is you know, from a legal perspective, is is to be aware of the ancillary documents. So, SaaS agreements, you know, typically typically contain this this sort of warren of nested links and online terms, acceptable use policies. You know, the SLAs that we've discussed, and unfortunately, that you know they all need to be reviewed to ensure that they're acceptable to you as a customer. Um, and it's also really important to to ensure that nothing falls between the cracks between what you know legal and commercial are reviewing so you know sometimes one can think that the others the other is covering it so it's just important that everyone gets the full picture and if it's not clear you know when you're clicking through all these links what terms apply then you know ask ask to be provided a copy um ask your your supplier rep to provide you a copy um and again it's it's, it's always important just to to challenge whether these terms are non-negotiable um you know, just because it's it's hosted on a URL doesn't necessarily mean 
that those terms can't then be adapted and you know perhaps a revised version can be included as a schedule to the the contract instead um that's obviously going to be more likely to be possible to achieve with a small supplier but it's also worth you know testing this um you know provided it's not an operational document that's fundamental to their kind of delivery model well, thanks, Rob. That That is a really useful checklist for where to focus your time and effort on software as a service agreements, especially if you're in a role where you end up having to look, have a, look at a lot of them uh, in quite short order and have to review them quickly. So, so I think that concludes this episode. Sub- subscribe to this podcast on whichever platform you're using to ensure you automatically get the latest episodes when they're released. Um, and we hope this podcast is going to be useful for lawyers procurement professionals and other business leads uh, and we'd like it to be as interactive as possible so if you do have a particular area of interest or a topic you'd like us to cover in the future uh, then please do get in touch with us at the roadmap at bristos.com or use the hashtag the roadmap pod uh, well thanks very much for listening uh, on behalf of rob and me and we'll be back with the next episode soon